Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. So before I introduce our guest today, I have a couple of brief updates for our community. We invite everyone to join us on Twitter Spaces, where we pre-stream each episode the day before it goes public on all major podcast platforms. For the platform list, visit our website, blockchainrecorded.com. We also have an NFT program with Blockchain Recorded Community NFTs. These can be claimed from our homepage. So check us out, visit our website, and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for updates and potential airdrops. And without further ado... Today's guest is Ashley Scott Myers. He is a writer, producer, and director. He is best known for the movie The Pinch from 2018, The Rideshare Killer 2022, and Rush Lights from 2013. In addition, he's a screenwriter and blogger of SellingYourScreenplay.com and has created an NFT project in conjunction with the movie The Rideshare Killer. So, Ashley, welcome to Blockchain Recorded. Hey, well, Nia, thank you very much for having me on. Um, that's quite a nice introduction. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I actually have uh, I have a confession to make. I'm so sorry I have not seen the movies. <laughs> I, just, uh, it's, I just it's mentioned. totally okay. You're in you're in good company, believe me. <laughs> so yeah, no, and and that's that's one of the things I think people don't um, outside of the entertainment industry um, they don't fully realize. There's a whole industry of sort of mm-hmm. low budget movies that get made um, that a lot of times we don't hear about. And some of these movies I've done, um, you know, they have pretty decent casts, um, people you've actually heard of. Um, you know, when they're not doing studio films they'll come and do some of these independent films um so but they don't get a ton of airplay you know it doesn't necessarily make it to the multiplex around the world but um but there's an industry there yeah these these low budget independent films of course no it's okay it's i'm i'm not always the blockbuster type i enjoy Mm -hmm. indie films as well and also from the international spectrum but uh these i have to admit that i have not seen but i i do obviously my i should do my homework and see the rideshare killer um but anyway tell us more about yourself um, you know, you're the first uh, film industry person that we have on our podcast. Um, so if you can talk about your film industry journey and sure. and how you came to experiment with Web3 and, and NFTs. Yeah, sure, sure. So I think I'm like a lot of just Americans. I grew up loving movies, but I grew up far from Hollywood um, and it's Annapolis, Maryland. So really on the East Coast, I didn't know anybody in the entertainment industry. So it was really just a love and sort of passion of films that fueled that. Um, I went to college really really had no idea what I wanted to do. So as an accounting major, I realized by the time I was done, I really wasn't probably going to be a very good accountant, much less do some, anything I wanted to do. Um, so I just decided, me and a buddy just decided to throw all of our worldly belongings into a beat up old pickup truck and just drive out to LA. And we, we did that. And, you know, it took us a few years, but um, we eventually sold a, a script called Dish Dogs. Mm-hmm. And in the 90s, this was sort of the, the mid to late 90s. And that was, there was a sort of a whole industry back then. If, 
if you remember back like the Academy Awards, I think it was like 1995, 96. Um, it was the year the English Patient won. And that was considered an independent film. It was a big yeah, movie. That was a but big it was deal. when Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, but it was sort of an indie film. So there was a real hype with these indie films and there was some real appetite for them. The DVD market was still very much at play. People were buying a lot of DVDs. So there was still sort of a channel for some of these smaller movies. Um, so I sort of rode that wave a little bit. We sold Dish Dogs. And then I was getting into, again, it was the late 90s and I was sort of getting into technology. Um, so I started to set up websites just really just for my screenplays, just a little website. It's still around, AshleyMyers.com. And I just list log lines for my screenplays. And I use it just as a marketing tool um, and eventually got a job in, um, it was Web 2.0. I'm not sure we knew it was Web 2.0 at the time, but mm. you know this was about 2001 when the um, dot-com was really at sort of the height of the bubble. Um, so I sort of got into technology as I sold Dish Dogs. I made a little bit of money, um, but still needed to kind of make some, some money to live um, and, and continue to build my career. So that's what I did. I got into technology and continued continue to sell, um, to, to write and try and sell these screenplays. And eventually, um, sort of we getting down maybe 10 years later, 2010, um, 2012, I started to just realize I continued to option and sell some of these scripts, but it wasn't really creatively fulfilling. So I just decided, you know what, I'm going to go and make my own movies. And that was the pinch in um, 2018. Um, I went and did that film and it was just self-funded, self-produced. Mm. And um, I just got that done. And then over the years after that, I started to watch, really it was TikTok that got me into web three um my kids are you know they were young probably 12 years old 11 years old at the time and my oldest daughter wanted to download tiktok so i didn't know anything about it so i let her download it and i downloaded it myself and started watching it and just for whatever reason the algorithm started giving me a lot of this web 3.0 nft crypto stuff uh -huh. so i just started to learn about it really through that and then as i got more interested i would look around at what else um you know on youtube or wherever else i could find information so i started to learn with it like that and then as we got done this my most recent film the ride chair killer we just started thinking me and the other producer tony we just started thinking about ways that you know we could potentially market the film and just ways that we could sort of be on the cutting edge and sort of get involved in mm -hmm. in um, what i consider to be a great technology that um, really could help films in the future um, so that was sort of what we arrived at was we decided to mint every single frame of this it's an 84 minute frame 25 frames per second um, so you can do the math on that it came out to about 120,000 individuals frames and we minted them all into one of one original nfts um and now they're on rarible.com and OpenSea, and we're just out here trying to market and really starting to build our community around this this project that's a lot of frames so if it's like nearly 120,000, it's a lot of frames. Yeah. And keep in mind, again, ours is a, is a low budget, short horror film. It's only 84 minutes. So you start talking about two hour film, two and a half hour film. You're talking about, you know, 200 plus thousand frame, individual frames. Have these frames as NFTs, have they been claimed or like how, how does it stand as it is now? It's um, I would say it's very slow. I mean, we're starting to just we got done at the beginning of this year and we're starting to push them now. Um, so a few of them have been sold. You know, we're starting to do some giveaways. We're just trying to really build a community around it. Got it. Um, and, and maybe this ultimately ends up being sort of a proof of concept. Can you actually mint that that many frames? I hadn't even I was not able to find any um, 
any NFT campaigns that even had that many frames in them. Um, I think the biggest one I ever really heard about was the Trump one that had about 50,000. So 120,000 is um, is really a good a good number of frames. And I was worried about, you know, would there be some Y2K bugs? Like, can you even mint 120,000 into one campaign on the blockchain? Um, there was I couldn't find any writing on this or nobody had done it as far as I can tell. So some of it is just that getting out there and doing that. Um, but we're sort of in the building, the, the community campaign. And, and maybe we should have built more of a community beforehand. I think that's maybe one lesson um, from, from all of this. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, I'll definitely pick your brain on the technicals in terms of the minting and the frame and the, and the, the NFT, the actual mm-hmm. uh, technical part of it. But before, if you if you wouldn't mind, um, just, you know, like I said, we haven't had a guest from the film industry, uh, let, alone, let alone a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Can we just first dive in more general speak and if you can talk about how you see the film industry respond i mean we're talking about nfts nfts is just a component of web3 but how do you see the film industry responding to web3 i mean feel free you know you can start with what's happened in the past with films and and crypto and then again yeah crypto is a is a speculative term right so i think it's important to to distinguish you know crypto from blockchain from bitcoin our audience is a bit more knowledgeable in Mm -hmm. terms of what the differences are but still i mean the floor is yours yeah yeah so what what i found and again just going back to what i just said i really didn't start to watch these tiktoks on crypto till probably three years ago so we're talking 2020 sort of the beginning of of the pandemic but before that just as a producer and a writer Mm. i was out there trying to sell my scripts so this was around 2017 2018 where i was running into a lot of these producers that wanted to do these icos and they were going to basically mint their own coin their own token and sort of create sort of their own little world that would revolve around this but it was really a mechanism for funding their films and some of them did it better than others some of them seemed more sincere than others but the one thing i I mean i knew for a fact i didn't really understand the technology and so when i would talk to these producers and start to ask them some questions it became sort of clear to me that frankly they didn't really understand it that well and so it always just made i mean i optioned my script to some producers and they oh, I'm going to go do this ICO and, you know, whatever. As the writer, I'm really not that in, into it. I mean, they can raise the money however they raise the money. But I, it just it always felt a little bit like a money grab to me. It didn't seem like they really cared about Web3 or technology or, or really any of the sort of underlining mm-hmm. good parts of crypto. It just became a way of, hey, maybe we can get a, make a quick buck and fund these movies. Funding independent films is very, very difficult because so few of them actually make money. So I understand sort of the impulse of a producer when they hear about a potential way to fund the movie right. to kind of jump for it and explore it because it is it's the hardest part of all of all the parts of making independent film getting the money is definitely the hardest part so again that was a few years ago i didn't really get that involved with that but it just didn't really seem all that great and again it was a pre-production thing it seemed to me just the way where i was in because i've done some kickstarters to fund some of my movies and that it really just felt like a Kickstarter with sort of the, the luster of Web3 on top of it. You were basically giving some producers money ahead of making the film in hope that the film would get produced. And then you could sort of be a part of that community. But again, it just didn't seem as a film fan, it just didn't really interest me. I, I never gave any money to that. I wasn't really into crypto, but it just didn't really inspire me as a film fan. Mm-hmm. Now, more recently, what I've been getting 
is the producers are coming in. I get a lot of this through my own podcast. I, I have some connections with publicists. So when filmmakers finish a film, they come through my desk. So a lot of my knowledge now is coming from that, um, in addition to just reading stuff. But what I'm getting now is I, I do get producers coming where they've got a finished film and they were able to raise the money through NFTs, partially or in whole or, mm-hmm. or whatever. But again, it's more of a pre, it's been a pre-production mechanism, just like Kickstarter. You have, you bump, you create some artwork. Typically what I've seen is they've created some artwork, you know, whether it be a poster or just some artwork that's sort of loosely connected, or not even loosely, it's, it's artwork that's connected to the film. They mint that into NFTs mm-hmm. and then they try and build a community. And again, some of the, the people that have had success with this are people that are fairly famous. They already have a following. So they're able to kind of bring that community along for the ride. And there's, again, there's been some success with this for sure. And, um, and, and, and I, you know, all of this is so new. Like I'm just one guy. I could be completely wrong. Maybe this is the future of how NFTs or movies are, are gonna gonna interact. But again, as a film fan, it just it didn't really get me excited to buy a bunch of artwork that was created before the film was even done. Right. Um, it just it felt again it felt more just like a Kickstarter. I mean, you could do the same exact thing with a Kickstarter. You could make a bunch of artwork and you could basically sell off the artwork through things. And yeah, the blockchain validates it, and there's some things that go along with the blockchain um, that are nice. But again, as a film fan, I wasn't quite sure how that really gave a lot of value to me as the film fan. And I can tell you too, as someone who has a screenwriting podcast, the people that are in the film industry, um, they're they're still, not even in the industry, I take that back. The people that are sort of the film fans and that sort of person, they're a long ways from um, really being involved in crypto. There's still a number of technical hurdles that they need to be sort of overcome because most of the people that are into film, they're not overly technical people. So to try and get them to buy some NFTs. And that's really, I think, one of the big hurdles I'm facing with my own project is Mm -hmm. I can tell when I talk about it on my own podcast, it's just crickets. Nobody even knows how to to, to go and buy one of these things. And in fact, my producing partner, he's older than myself. And so so not really into Web 3.0, but we thought this would be a good experiment. Hey, Tony, why don't you go see if you can buy some of these NFTs just to sort of work through some of the technical hurdles? He was unable to figure it out. So that's the thing. I think there's still quite a a bridge that needs to be sort of crossed with just sort of the average user getting into film. And that's the the NFT people understand how to buy NFTs, but the just the average consumer that might ultimately want to be a part of this, um, I think there's still a ways to go. Sure, yeah. So it sounds like one of the things is to merge both worlds, right? To be able to kickstart the adoption process or just mm-hmm. just onboard people so that they know what to do. Just just a few a few steps back. So you mentioned the, you know, when you say film industry people are not really yet in what's what's going on with web3 or just knowing how to how to use it or or etc who are the so film industry people so this is like so people like yourself so screenwriters producers directors i mean is this is this the people that you're talking about that's a good question and yeah i i mean i definitely think and these are people that i'm like i'm like the indie guy mm-hmm. so i don't really know what's going on at a place like disney okay but i can tell you disney disney is there they are minting nfts you know they are experimenting with this so i'm sure they have a whole branch of people that are looking into this but on the indie side of film yeah that's what i'm talking about the people that i meet producers and stuff 
stuff. And again, it feels to me like they're people that are getting into it more just because they see opportunity as opposed to understanding the technology and appreciating the technology. Now, I'll give you a, a counterexample. One of the Eureka moments for myself, I, as I was getting into this, I decided, okay, let's just start looking at some of these films that have done this. And one of the fellows I ran into was a filmmaker named Trevor Hawkins. He's a Midwest filmmaker. I think he's in about Michigan. And this guy is a real artist. He's not like someone that's just looking to, to grab some money. And But he was one of the first films that minted some of his frames into NFTs. And I had him on my podcast. Um, now, he didn't make a ton of money with this because he just he just wasn't able to scale mm-hmm. it. Um, but again, it was a good proof of concept. Um, but that was my eureka moment. I literally asked him that question. I said, well, why didn't you mint every frame into an NFT? And he had a, he had the typical artist comments was, well, some of them are blurry. Some of them don't look right. good. Because he's a real artist. He doesn't want all of these frames to be out there as NFTs. But for me, as someone that is into crypto and stuff, I sort of think that's what's cool. I think ultimately, Disney, Marvel, indie films, we need to mint every frame into an NFT and let the fans, that's part of the ethos of crypto is, you know, the the, the people, on they get to decide, right. you know, the community gets to decide what are the valuable frames, what are the cool frames. Not It's not top down, it's, it's you know, it's bottom up. And let the fans decide who, what frames are cool, what frames deserve to be, you know, the valuable ones. So that was sort of the eureka moment for me where I had him on and he was sort of pushing the envelope a little bit further than it had been pushed. But I still thought, hey, you know, I could mint every one of my frames into an NFT. And that was, as I said, I think that was sort of my eureka moment with was literally interviewing him on the podcast. Yeah, you just said a few, few of the right things <laughs> to say, which is, yeah, it starts with the people, it starts with the community. Mm-hmm. And just sort of backtrack maybe, you know, what you're saying in terms of what your challenge potentially could be is or, or whatever. Absolutely. Community is definitely key. But, you know, it's it's an evolving space, you know, it, mm-hmm. integrating Web3 into different industries. It's this is our this is our playground. So it's conversations like these that I think that are important to um yeah, to, just to talk about this. Mm-hmm. So, so okay, so y- you were sort of looking back, the ICO era was definitely not, and those were the, the scammy years. That's when I got into crypto. So, and I was also very, very put off by, you know, what what the speculation brought. But but just the past few years, um, you learned that it's, it's not all about that. That's what's going to be important in terms of keeping fundamentals in mind. But I'll allude to that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So you've had your eureka moment. I mean, given what we've you've just said this far, I mean, I mean, how do you see the future of film and crypto? I mean, you you, you think definitely the minting every frame is the way to go for now. So what about down the road? Yeah. So so um, again, and, and and maybe I can back into that a little bit more um, with just uh, more than just this eureka moment was again part of my whole thinking as I was interviewing um, this guy Trevor um, and, and bringing him on was I was thinking about my own experience as a film fan, and a lot of that came through my own experience as a kid when Star Wars came out that was my favorite film and I bought all of these <laughs> of Star Wars cards you know um, me and my brother I think they were I think they were less than a dollar it might have been 50 cents or 25 cents and you'd get like maybe half a dozen of these little Star Wars cards with a dried out piece of bubble gum and we would take them to school we would trade them <laughs> right. and we just had fun with them we would lay them out on our desk you could flip them over you could make like a puzzle some of the collections would be like a puzzle on the back and stuff and so to me that's what 
that was the cool part of being a film fan. It just you could relive the moment with your friends, your favorite scenes, your favorite actors in those scenes. Um, and so that's really what I got to thinking when I was interviewing Trevor. I was like, that's the moment for me that would just be cool. And I started to think, what would I love to own? I would love to own a, a star original episode four, you know, Star Wars NFT, especially if it was minted by George Lucas, as is the case with the rideshare killer. Like I'm the one that's actually physically minted these things. I think that there is sort of a connection to that film um, that you can just have. There is some sort of a connection. Obviously, this the frame from Star Wars, if somebody had minted those, they could still go and mint them, frankly. Um, but those would, would be very valuable um, and they would go up in value and stuff. But again, I just started having these conversations with other people. And what's your favorite film? What frame? Wouldn't you love to have a frame from your favorite film? And the answer is always yes, of course you would. Right. Um, and so again, that is sort of where I see it. To me, of all the things that I've sort of seen and thought about and talked to people, that to me seems like the place that's going to have the most value for the film fan. And so I always like to put the film fan forward. I just, I, I don't see, and again, I'm not here to poo-poo on anybody else's idea. And if you can make it work, more power to you. But mm. I don't see a lot of value to the film fan in, in doing what are these Kickstarter offerings. Um, it's maybe, and, and if you build a community and your community really trusts you and knows that you're going to create a really cool film, then they might be willing to kind of get behind you. But again, I don't really see that as, as inherently different than a Kickstarter or Indiegogo or any of these these other crowdsourcing type of platforms, um, as opposed to finishing your movie, showing the world how great it is, and then getting people excited about your movie to buy some of your frames. It seems to me that's, you know, the filmmakers taking the risk. They're, they're making the movie. Right. They're taking the risk that this film is going to be good. And then if it's good, they're rewarded by the film fans that think it's good and buy these frames. Right. So, well, you said Star Wars. Uh, I, I take it, are you a Gen Xer? Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, well, my favorite movie is E.T. Okay. So, yeah, you were right there. And I remember seeing E.T. in the movie theater as well back when it came out. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so, again, yeah, it's, a, it's an iconic movie. I mean, imagine how much those frames of, of E.T. going over the moon, if they had minted those, imagine how much those frames would be worth. And in a real sense, sure. you know, not just in a, I'm going to make a bunch of money sense, but just owning those would be like owning like a Rembrandt or a real piece of, you know, iconic Americana. Right. It's it's more of a collector's thing. Yeah, yeah. But it just, you know, um, I can't help but think, you know, because you, you, you're saying, you know, you, you speak to people and this 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 could be a potential um, thing to do in terms of collecting. You know, I think also Gen Xers, we're, we're, we're a different generation again. Um, is this like more of a generational thing where we are willing to, to do that? I, I just feel like with my kids, they don't care about collecting stuff like that. Um, going down the road. I don't know. Are these thoughts that are crossing your mind? Yeah. And, and so again, one of the things that I noticed was, and sort of, again, this is a couple years ago as I was, my, my sort of ideas were evolving was my own kids. And, and now they're, I think they're 13 and 10. So this was a few years ago. So let's say you know more eight and 11, they were into um, the Roblox. They were playing hours on Roblox, especially during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And they got into a specific game called adopt me. And essentially, I mean, as best I can tell, maybe there's more to it that I'm missing, but, essentially you go in there with your friends you know it's one of these massive you know multiplayer role-playing games you're in there with all your friends people you know people you don't know and you go up to people and you trade these digital animals they're they're just like little 
you know, unicorns and horses and cats and you can build them up and you can raise them and feed them and make them, you know, you can combine them and stuff. But essentially, and one of my, my youngest daughter was even trying to get me to, to put in some, my credit card into this. It was some sort of a, um, a service that would create these custom, it wasn't an adopt me, it was in murder mystery too. And you'd get some, some digital guns and knives and weapons and stuff that you could take oh into this thing. But it was a really, it was a really, um, back back way of doing it where you had to go, you had to go to their website, pay them. Then you went in their discord and contacted them. And then you went into the actual game and they would give you the stuff. So clearly just from a technology standpoint, web three can solve a lot of those problems. Sure. And, but again, but the bigger, but the bigger thing is, is that my kids, they do like collecting them mm. and they very much value these accounts with these adopt me animals in them. And they go and they show their friends and, you know, there's some sort of dragon or something that's like the highest, you know, and some people get this dragon. And it's just, it's cool. And you ride this little digital dragon around inside this world. So to me, I, I saw the opposite. I, I felt like my kids were very much embracing digital collectibles. They did, they were willing to trade actual real money for these, these digital items. Um, so to me, it seems like the, the younger generation might be very open to this. Um, whereas some of the older people, you know, and when I say older people, my age, you know, when I tell them, you know, film, film people, especially I tell them what I'm doing. They're like, well, what are you actually getting? What do you actually own? What, what can you actually do with it? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing they don't, they, they're, they're unable to make that leap, but I, I don't see it as the kids. My, my kids were very much into it and, and their friends are very much into all of these digital collectibles. Interesting. Well, just, you've alluded to Disney probably looking into, into, in terms of the framing more do you think in terms of production companies in general are they embracing I, I would like to just maybe further get your thoughts on this like in terms of embracing all this technology yeah and, and, and where it is like are these conversations that you do have with okay you're from the indie spectrum but um and i don't know how it works i mean do indie people talk to blockbuster people <laughs> yes there, there's definitely correct there's definitely a lot of a lot of crossover for sure mm -hmm. but I, I truthfully no i'm not i mean when i I, I'm definitely the head of the spear on this one, um, and and I and I don't get a ton of um, um, people that have even thought about this as of yet. But I do think again, if you do some quick napkin math, you think about these Star Wars movies, these Marvel movies. You're talking about in excess of 200,000 frames. They're over two hours. Um, so if you just do some basic math, and again, these these movies already have you know rabid communities behind them. I mean, the Star Wars community, which I'm frankly a part of, um, I'm not so much into the Marvel films, but they have rabid fans that are into these things. They go to conventions, they go to, you know, yeah. all the movies they line up. So, so it would not be hard for Disney to mint these things into NFTs and have a, 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 a market already ready to go. And again, you just do some quick napkin math at a hundred dollars. If they have 200,000 frames, they sell a hundred dollars. That's $20 million. Right. If they go for a, th if they average a thousand dollars per frame, and it's not inconceivable that there's 200,000, you know, Star Wars fans willing to pay a thousand dollars. That doesn't seem inconceivable to me. That's $200 million. That's more than the budget of the movie. So it seems to me that once there's, once Disney sort of figures out some of this stuff and once there's actually people embracing it, um, I think that they will most certainly do it just because they do have a business to run and there, there is some business opportunities. Now, one of the things I've thought about myself, as I said, I'm the first one to do this. I've minted every frame, but now, 
you know, I'm on top of this mountain, but there's nobody else on top of this mountain. And frankly, right now, there's not even really anybody looking for this mm -hmm. mountain. I'm just standing there by myself. So that's been one of my ideas is to go and find some of these indie films. Um, and I know people who know people, you know, and so I, I know some of the people that maybe own the rights to some of these indie films. So that's, I think, maybe my next step is try and get some of these other films. And I don't have any connection to the Friday the 13th franchise. So that's probably not one that I would be able to actually contact. <laughs> but um, but clearly, that's not like a studio movie. You know, it's not like Disney that owns that one. Right. There's some producers, some production company somewhere owns the rights to that Friday the 13th. There's, you know, millions of Friday the 13th fans. Are they going to get $1,000 a frame and raise $200 million? Probably not. But Friday the 13th would have enough name recognition recognition. So I think to me, that's the next step is we need to see a big movie that has a real following go and do this. And maybe I can be a part of it. Maybe I won't be a part of it. But I think once that starts to happen, I think this whole thing could start to take off. Um, and again, it's hard for me to imagine there's not going to be some people that don't think about this just as I do and think it could actually work. And there will be companies that give it a try. And then if there's the fans are, are there buying up the frames, that will encourage other people to do it. I just don't have a following for my movie right Right now is sort of the problem. I'm still, it's the first one. So I'm still out there trying to just raise awareness for the film. Got it. Got it. But have you gotten, I mean, you must have gotten some response to your minting project or has there been response in terms of film industry insiders, others, like what have people been saying just feedback in general? Yeah, very, very little. I mean, some people, okay. very little. I mean, some of the people, I, I've reached out just to podcasts, and I know a lot of the filmmaking podcasters, and frankly, they don't really want to have me on to talk about NFTs. They'll have me on to talk about other things, right. but they're just not interest, interested in crypto. I think right now, I mean, my timing is probably a little bit bad, truthfully. I think right now, people that are not in crypto or Web3, I think they, they're such a sort of negative with the FTX collapse and all of these sort of yeah. very negative um, impressions. If you don't know anything about it, I mean, you still have legitimate people. I mean, I watch Bill Maher. I think he's hilarious, but he just thinks crypto is just a complete scam. So <laughs> when you have people like that, you know, prominent, smart, prominent, reasonable people yeah. that are still openly saying all of Web3 is a complete scam, you're going to get a lot of people that are just very skeptical get into it. So that's frankly a lot of what I'm up against. A lot of the film people I talk to, um, they, they're very skeptical. Some of them think it's an interesting idea idea, but they don't even really know enough to even evaluate my project or even tell me if they think I'm on to something or not, because they don't even really have a basis in crypto at all. Yeah, you know, when you, you've alluded to Bill Maher, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Um, I, I think he's great and um, says things the way things sometimes should be said <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in ways that he has. I've been following him for, for decades. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of it has to do with just not knowing. You know, I think it's important to distinguish between the terms crypto and blockchain and Web3. I mean, uh, I'll take a few steps back in our podcast, which is it's, it's fine because this, these are the things that we need to talk about. Mm -hmm. You know, crypto still has a negative and speculative sound to it. People still may think it, you know, it only has to do with speculative digital assets, um, you know, the Dogecoins, etc. Uh, they give them a bad rep, but that's just a component. And it's like, it's, um, you know, it's it's not all that. It's really a component of the wider Web3 ecosystem, which is the next, let's face it, digital and internet phase. Mm -hmm. But I think the key thing maybe is it's all about educating, right? I mean, it sounds cliche, it sounds cheesy, but it's educating, but in, in, with important key fundamentals to keep in mind. And these key fundamentals, you know, the Web3 advocates and builders who have their hearts set in this and are not about pumping and dumping schemes are wanting, you know, to solve are, you know, just going back to basics, online trust, 
decentralization, permissionless systems, data ownership, you know, we want to control our own data, mm -hmm. transparency, traceability, censorship resistance. I mean, I, I don't want to sound, I, I don't want to, you know, preach, but I think there's a lot that people are not aware of. And maybe Bill Maher should <laughs> take mm -hmm. a, maybe a 101 blockchain or, or Web3 course before saying these things because it's not it's not scammy. I think in a way what the what what happened with FTX was a good thing because it cleaned out a lot of the bad actors again, you know? And um, in terms of what we strive in Web3 is it's it's just the fundamentals are an integral part and they always get clouded by whichever whenever there's a the new hot thing comes along or there's a bull market mm -hmm. and there's all kinds of speculators shilling with call, all kinds of money grabbing you know schemes and each bull cycle gets larger and with it brings a whole set of new of misinformation so it's important to have these conversations in terms of what is Web3 what is crypto what are digital assets what are NFTs what could they be good for and where this is all going, because it is going somewhere, and it's key to try to distinguish from the well-intentioned builders who abide by the fundamentals that I keep pounding on mm -hmm. to the speculators. So, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of ways. It, there's a long, it's, it's a long road. You know, a lot of people say that we're in, you know, Web 2.5 right now, right? And and still trying to to figure out what Web 2.5 is. But in the end, it's it's just conversation, education, you know, trying to, to talk about it as much as we can to make people realize that it's not just a speculation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I will, when this podcast is, is released, I will send it out to my list, you know, and hopefully some of those people will listen to it and just get another take on, on sort of the, just slowly bring some of those people into the fold. But I totally agree. These are the conversations we just need to get out there, talk about it. Sure. And eventually people will hear, hear the message. Yeah, because, you know, they're not to like toot our own horn, but, you know, we are also a podcast that, you know, we're not about talking about the next thing to invest in. This is not a DeFi or this. Is, I'm not going to say DeFi because DeFi is I think DeFi can be a good thing. But um, this is not, you know, we're we're trying to actually, you know, we let guests on that we believe have good, proper use cases for Web3. And I think these are conversations that need to happen. Mm -hmm. um, whether or not we'll have a hundred of them, that's you know, that's that's fine. But just to you know, it's it's a it's it's a learning process. It's an evolution process, and it's you know, going back to what you were talking about in terms of the NFT frames, you know, are is is just just a money making thing, or you know, is this the goal? Well, sure, of course, there has to be some incentive, but you know, we want to adopt the technology is going to continue so might as well ride the wave and mm -hmm. contribute to it right yeah yeah and i think you know on the movie front um I, I think some of the incentive is not is not squarely on the financial like again mm -hmm. i think there's still a ways to go from a technology standpoint but i see a time not too far in the future where you'll have some sort of app on your phone where you can just quickly scroll through all of your nfts and show them to your friends and maybe even just instantly trade them back and forth from this app. And to me, that's the cool part about it. Are you going to make $5,000 trade? No, but you might just be able to get some scenes and build collections that you think are cool that you can show your friends. And that's, again, it's not the money part. It's the fun part. It's the it's a cool hobby part right. that, that gets integrated into all of this. And it goes, again, it goes to community, um, you know, also with the digital economy that we're in, you know, some argue that we're, we're going towards a subscription model and the subscription model is going to capture 
NFTs here as well in terms of the technology. You know, people also want to own their own data as mm -hmm. well. This is another concept, right? It's not just about collections and this. It's about owning your own data. So, yeah. But let's um, maybe let's let's go back to your NFT project. So how did you set up your your NFT framing or how, how did you go? How did you go about that in, in technical terms? It was just you doing this or did you have a team of people helping you or is this all it's literally all just, Ashley literally minting his frames? Yeah, literally just me. So um, <laughs> Tony is not technical. He's my partner on the film, but he's not at all technical. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, I do have a background in Web 2.0 and really it's PHP, MySQL, HTML. So I know that stuff pretty well. So that's essentially what I did. I mean, I had a bunch of Windows computers and um, just sitting in my office. And then I had I wrote a little PHP. So I basically imported. I did an export of all the frames with the frame numbers and put them into a database, a MySQL database on my web server. And then basically I set up these. And so there's a little PHP script that these um, these Windows machines, they'll hit and they'll be able to tell which is the next frame to mint. And then they just go on Rarible. And I use something called AutoIt. Um, it's a little Windows scripting language on the actual Windows machine. And it just, you know, you click here, you click there. It's not really like the most scalable way of doing it. I, as I was going through it, I realized I, you know, it probably was not the best way to do it, frankly, but it took months. Um, but that's essentially what I did was I had my, my PHP script on one side, basically giving information to these Windows machines. And I wanted to mint them after I started to mint like just a hit two or three of them. I realized I wanted to mint them in reverse order, starting at the end. That way, when people look at them, mm -hmm. they can, they can sort by the newest and the newest will then be frame, you know, one, two, and three. And then you can literally watch the on, on rareable are on open C. you can go there and you can look at all the frames and it's kind of like a quick glance of the movie as the frames go on i thought it was a cool aesthetic so i made some effort to do that as well but essentially that's what it is it was this auto it script that was doing the actual clicking on the buttons on these window machines and then those windows machines would grab information from the um from the php script and there was some order you know it's going through i was doing it physically on rareable and then you know you click the button your metamask wallet opens and then it has to click over there. Um, mm. There was a lot of weird things. I wasn't always getting, um, you know, messages back. So I wasn't always sure of frames. I had to do a lot of cleanup once the thing was done to go back through to make sure they all got minted because sometimes you just wouldn't get a message back from MetaMask that you could do anything with. You could tell whether it was um, things. It took like four or five months. The price of Matic, this was last April, May, June, July, August that I was doing this. The price of Matic, which we, we minted on the Polygon blockchain. So Matic was going up and down throughout this. Right. And what I noticed was um, it started at like a dollar forty, and it went all the way down to thirty five cents um, during <laughs> this four month worst. period. Yeah, yeah it's, but to be honest with you, it was good for us because I started buying. I could see it going down, so I was buying the mat. At the, I got most of mine. I think at less than fifty cents. So it ended up as far as yeah, as far as the minting goes, things. But what I noticed was whenever whenever the price was really just really roller coastering up and down, that's when things would get really really slow on the blockchain, mm -hmm. um, and it would just get really just you get a lot of error weird errors and you could never tell whether it was from rareable or from metamask or from the blockchain itself um there's just some some points of um, things one tip i found was you i was able to if you click on Meta
MetaMask, they have a little um, like an aggressive with the gas fee. And I found it was much, much better to just hit the aggressive button. It was only a fraction of a penny more. Yeah. And that gave you a much greater chance of actually getting through and not getting one of these weird errors. Um, so after about a month or two, I figured that out and things were much smoother. Um, but I had two or three computers going pretty much all the time. Um, and I got it. I think I got up to about 2,500 frames a day was about oh, the wow. most I could get um, out of one computer. And that's if one com that's with no air, you know, not a lot of errors that day, really pumping it out. It was a 25 for three computers. I think that's what it was. It's 25 for all three computers. I think I could get to a, get about a thousand per computer. But once I put on more computers, there was some diminishing returns from it. Because again, I was trying to mint them in order. So they had to be careful. They couldn't just, you know, go as fast as they could go. They had to wait for the other computers. As one computer was minting, the other one was sort of just waiting, queuing it up. Um, so there was oh, some, wow. yeah, there were some, some complexities like that. And it did take a lot of months. But um, that, that's what I did. <laughs> but that's, that's serious commitment from yeah. an NFT minting screenwriter and producer. Yeah, yeah, no, no kidding. So <laughs> Uh, I commend you for that. I mean, that's awesome. You know, that's that's the thing. I mean, if you you learn by doing it, right? So, mm -hmm. and you, you've alluded to some of the problems that you know the the blockchains face. Obviously, the speed. You know, when the markets go crazy. Um, but these are all growing pains that you know. Hopefully, they'll get I guess solved through time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so th these legitimate owners of your. NFT movie frames. Can I ask? Um, so you said you've, you've sold a few. I'm assuming there were not the blurry ones. Yeah, exactly. No, it's well, interesting. <laughs> you know, and interestingly enough, um, we had Eric Roberts is Julia Roberts brother. Eric, I was just going to say, is it like one shot of Eric Roberts? Yeah, and to be honest with you. Yeah, that seems to be what people are gravitating, yeah. gravitating towards is just the most well known actor. They want some frames with him in it. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. Um, so that's sort of the direction that it's been going. Um, one of the things that I've been we've been talking about I've been talking about with Tony and I, I don't know that it's going to happen on the rideshare killer but going forward again you talk about some of the rights like once someone buys this what rights they have we just use the rareable mm -hmm. smart contract the default smart contract but I think ultimately uh, a filmmaker especially an indie filmmaker there would be some some um, incentive to to actually give the the NFT holder some rights much like the board Ape yacht club mm -hmm. um, where maybe they could print t-shirts or action figures or something you know you get another angle because really it's a it's a it's it's a marketing of your film to some degree sure. I, I you know I live in LA and I'm, I'm just I'm always amazed I'll go someplace at how many people are wearing Lakers or Dodgers or stuff including myself you know I have my, my Laker t-shirt my my Clippers sweatshirt and stuff sure. and essentially you're selling this stuff which is marketing your own business I mean you're, you're people are buying you for paying you to market your business so I always sort of thought there might be some opportunity there as well is giving people full rights to exploit these NFTs with action figures or t-shirts or images or whatever else, letting them build a community around their own NFT, much like the board at Yacob is trying to do. Um, so again, that's another potential angle where I think films could go with these. Yeah, in terms of offering perks to fans um, also who hold their NFTs. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. again, it, a lot of it comes to community and membership. Mm -hmm. I think going forward, um, just with everything that's going on in the world, I think people are, you know, there's, I mean, not to get over philosophy but you know it's there's sort of a deglobalization thing going on and people wanting to i think just have a sense of belonging to certain communities mm -hmm. and whether or not that's la in the u.s you know I'm, I'm based in europe so we have like other things going on but mm -hmm. for sure it's community and membership and 
just holding something that's yours and knowing that's yours. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What about so okay, so we've sort of exhausted the NFT topic for now. What about are you are you familiar with DAOs? A little bit. And again, what I what I ran into was as I was sort of ramping up my own project was I was just looking at what film DAOs are out there. Mm-hmm. And the the ones that I would run into, um, they were it, it seemed to me they were trying to sort of build a community, but they were kind of trying to get the cast and crew mm. to, to join this this DAO, and then you know they would all um, split the proceeds. And from from my standpoint, um, again, there's always these sort of shady producers that are trying to to get cast and crew to work for less than what they normally work for, and so it just it's it sounded like a little bit of that where because these indie films, you know, whether people want to admit it or not, ninety nine point nine nine percent of these indie films like the ride chair killer do not make a profit mm-hmm. and you might think that oh well you know they've got these big actors and this and the other thing these things are not really making money for the most part so the idea of, of creating a DAO that's going to help the cat the, the the crew seems a little preposterous to me because these movies don't really make money and you know i think crews at this point are savvy enough i mean there used to be this thing it, it's still around deferred pay oh we'll you know we'll pay you something up front but then we'll give you defer we'll give you points on the back end and yeah when tom cruise gets points on the back end of mission impossible that's a totally different calculus than you know getting points on the on a, on a low budget indie film that's never going to make any right. money so so they always felt a little bit scammy to me um again i'm not here to poo-poo on anybody no, so if someone no. made that work then for sure then maybe that could work but it just it didn't really resonate with me um now some of the ways that i do think that you could have these is i've heard of like film collectives mm-hmm. you know i've interviewed people on my podcast that are in the brooklyn film collective and that's a group of filmmakers that come together they they pool their resources and their money and camera equipment and that sort of stuff and those are the such sorts of things where i think you know this would be a great way to run these a very efficient way to run something like that a film festival i run an annual film festival here in los angeles and so you know would there i'm thinking about would there be a way to create that into a DAO where you know people that are that are filmmakers can participate in a real way and be a part of this thing um, and then they have a way of, of you know exhibiting their film when they get a new film done they have a festival that they know they can exhibit at so maybe there would be some sort of community there um, but in terms of producing films um, I haven't seen anything that really turns me on that says oh yeah this is a viable way um, to get out there and produce a film it just feels like another way to not pay your crew as much as they, they should be paid yeah um, I mean the first question is always if you want to ask yourself you know what is a DAO going to do I mean what are the DAOs supposed to be doing for some for some kind of organization? I mean, in general, DAO fundamentals, you know, there are solutions to tackle bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I guess people get frustrated because there's a lot of, you know, blocking of new ideas by, you know, incumbent management who are high up actors in, in the organization. But overall, um, yeah, there's they have gotten some bad rep in terms of that. But if it's set up properly, I mean, one has to understand what a DAO is, right? Mm-hmm. Again, it's decentralized autonomous organization, right? Those are three main operative words that I think people throughout different industries don't understand or just want to, you know, say they're part of a DAO to be, you know, part of this new movement. But the whole point is that this is just a tool, right? Mm-hmm. It's a tool that's it's meant to be, it's meant to automate an organization 
based on very clear set governance bylaws, a very clear set purpose mm-hmm. uh, with a pre-existing community, ideally, and a treasury management. And all of these components just have to be clearly set out in, the, you know, whatever it's called, we call it a white paper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and the other part is that, you know, there has to be an understanding of how the DeFi platforms work. So DAO is also on board, you know, a blockchain-based DeFi platform to, you know, execute this, what I mentioned, the set treasury management and all everything. So bottom line, it's, it's I think... If people don't understand what a DAO is, then obviously that's a problem. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a tool that is to be trusted. I think it could function excellently. And just what you said, the collective where people have a set purpose together, a community, you know, and together, you know, put this white paper together that's basically the bible of the whole you know DAO whatever organization yeah um, and i definitely think i mean i definitely think like for the film industry um what i'm talking about like a film festival like what i'm running or a film collective um that i mentioned is these are organizations that have very little money i mean these are mm. you know, struggling artists and so and when i started to, to do this you know my, my nft project and i start looking around for a programmer that knows how to do these smart contracts and stuff and it's just you know eventually it's just i think it's too early for like the brooklyn film yes. you know collective because because you're going to need to hire like a real and i mean you're, you want this to be right you know it's not just right. something that's off the shelf you got to hire a real good program and knows how to build that smart contract and i think eventually there's going to be like we have wordpress now you know wordpress is a very very sophisticated mm-hmm. well-established free piece of software that you can run your website so my guess is in 10 years or five years whatever there'll be some of these off-the-shelf DAOs that you can just you know you can take it you can do with fairly simple modification and that's where i think of the real power for some of these these more artistic creative fields because they just they don't have a lot of money and frankly they're not overly technical people yeah. that are going to be able to get into but um but i can definitely see unloading some of that management stuff because that's always how these things fail like the you know these film collectives they go for a while and then someone just doesn't want to do the work so if you were able to set it up and there was a lot less yes. work it would really it would it would it would last a lot longer it would be a much more stronger organization exactly so yeah in that respect it i'm sure i mean there probably is potential there but yeah like you said and it's definitely early you know it's it's funny just just a, a couple weeks ago these were topics that you know we talk about in the web3 community you know all the time you know there's there's all these kinds of conferences and people talk and people you know we, we try to talk about actual problems because it's you know everyone's talking about DAOs and nfts and how great it is but you know you have to understand um what they're about and also just have proper adult human behavior mm-hmm. <laughs> i think yeah uh, so you have the right mindset and doing it properly and not just doing it to take advantage of people you know like so yeah we're still early but something to keep in mind and again it's a conversation Right. Yeah, it has to yeah. start somewhere. Yep. Yep. For sure. So in terms of, you know, you mentioned in terms of your mint, your, your minting experience, I, I just keep coming back to this picturing you uh, having all these computers <laughs> running all day long and, and minting your frames. What were what were what were your t- key takeaways from from that experience? I mean, are you so you've you've minted this You're. do you think you're going to do it again? Um. Yeah, and I would definitely pursue some other ways of doing it, see if there's maybe an easier way of doing it. Okay. But I think one of my key takeaways 
as a, as a web 2.0 programmer, you know, I've dealt with APIs. I mean, the Amazon has an API and it just, it's, it didn't feel like that is all I can say. And I understand I wasn't actually, you know, hitting the blockchain directly with my PHP script. It was going through these, the MetaMask and, and Rarible. And so it was a little bit clunky just in my own setup. But again, it didn't feel as, it, it still feels like there's something that has to happen. I mean, sometimes there just would be no error messages. And it's like, at least when Amazon, it, when you're using the Amazon API, it's going to come back with some sort of a message that you can do something with, whether it be error. And as I said, with this, it didn't. So I still think that there's still some sort of rough edges to just be worn off on some of this blockchain. Um, and, and now I'm kind of curious, like I would like to go do a more substantial project where I'm really getting into some more of the code and sort of see. But my initial impression was that was frankly that there's probably still some ways to go um, just on the technology front to make things just a little more user friendly mm-hmm. bef- before it really does become made. Mainstream. Mm-hmm. Well, keep your curiosity going, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. and your will. I, I just, I think that's awesome that you, as again, as a screenwriter, producer, and someone mm-hmm. in the film industry, is actually trying to adopt this, yeah, and, yeah. and use it. And it, it, I, and I'm sure it's difficult because, yeah, indies, it's not a blockbuster mm-hmm. um, space, but it's, I mean, more power to you. So, well, thank you. Yeah, as I said, I think it really is a proof of concept. I do think ultimately, too, yes. there's some potential. For for this film to have some historical significance. If this is the direction the film industry goes, I am the first guy to ever do this. So yep. I think if, if this does become mainstream, I think that there will be some value to these frames. Um, whether we realize that value in a year or five years or 10 years, I don't know. But I do think it is. I'm the head of this spear, um, for better or for worse. And maybe I've gone out on a limb that's, that's no one else is ever going to go out on. But again, the longer I think about it and the more I talk to people that are in Web3, yes. um, everybody's pretty positive. Again, the, the film people kind of give me blank stares or they're a little skeptical, but the most of the Web3 people do see what I'm saying and they think, you know, I think that is does have some legs and does have some merit. No, absolutely. I mean, if anything, it's it's a different it's a different shape of uh collectible, mm-hmm. right? And um, whether or not you people want to buy the blurry ones or not, that's that's a different question. But like you know, have the community give you feedback. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Ashley, is there is there anything that I have not asked that I should ask, or maybe that you want to share with our audience as we wrap this up? I, I think we've um, you've you've given us a good insight in terms of what your work is and what your project has been in your Web three endeavors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, perfect. No, I can't think of any questions. Um, I think this was a great interview, and I think it did it. Um, it covered sort of what I'm doing. I'm very easy to get a hold of. Um, I try and be mm-hmm. very you know, down to earth. So just send me an email if you, anybody has any questions. Info at sellingyourscreenplay.com. And we'd like to do a giveaway as well. So if anybody would like one of these frames for free, just email me again, info at sellingyourscreenplay.com. Just send me your, um, your Polygon blockchain address and I can send you some frames. If you want to choose an actual frame, you're more than welcome to do that. You can go to the rideshare slash NFTs and and then we have a little um, app there that you can scroll through all the frames. You can find them. There's different ways of searching for them. And you can kind of find a frame that is available and that you might like to have. And again, just send me a frame number and your Polygon address. And you know, let's say the first 100 people that do this from your podcast, we'll ha- we're happy to give them a free frame. Um, and if you're interested in just learning about screen running, you got a great idea for a screenplay and want to learn about how to potentially sell that um, as a screenplay, you can always check out my podcast as well, sellingyourscreenplay.com. Um, I have a weekly podcast 
podcast and I'm interviewing most, most of the time I'm interviewing um, indie director, producers and, and heavily leaning toward writers as well. Oh, that's great. Uh, well, we'll definitely include all the links and everything, the information that you shared in our show notes. I've actually listened to a few of your podcast oh, episodes, so I'm definitely interested in, in that whole realm. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that we actually got to do this, Ashley. Yeah, no, so am I. Can you just, just in terms of your roadmap and, and what you're planning on, what are your short-term versus long-term plans? Can you let us in on mm-hmm. on anything that you're working on yeah. on in the short and long-term? Yeah, so, I mean, me and Tony would like to do a sequel so we can get some traction with this film. It's definitely in the, uh, the offing. I mean, we have a lot of ideas on how we can continue this as a franchise, so that's definitely going to be a part of it. I do think that um, as I become more sophisticated in my own Web3 knowledge, um, I would like to build out more of a community hub, and I see that very much, especially the bigger companies like like a Disney, um, you know, it'd be very easy. They have that infrastructure. So I think it would be great to build a website where you could log in with your blockchain and 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 be a part of, watch the movie and just be a part of this community. Maybe all the sequels will be there. Um, so those are the kinds of things we're thinking about. Um, just, you know, ramping this one up, continue to promote it. And then if we can get any traction, we'll definitely be, um, be around for some sequels as well. Awesome. Awesome. You know, in the back of my mind, I just want to, I'm just thinking, you know, should I ask him what Eric Roberts is like? <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's a really nice guy yeah no he's a really nice guy and you know i i think uh, there, yeah there, there's guys i mean he's a real character too you get these guys on set like him and um you know why he's made a living as an actor because he really is he just he likes to be the center of attention and he's a real character and he just he can just entertain you you know just mm-hmm. by being sitting in a chair and and people crowd around him and he tells all of these great stories so he's just an entertaining guy and that's really what i found most of these actors that really do reach that higher level they really do have just an entertaining quality to them right um that's just you know obviously there's you hear stories of some of them being jerks or whatever but um but I, I just think a guy like eric roberts he just likes to work i mean obviously his career has started to fade a little bit so he's happy to just be out there doing movies and he just he brings it and um he's a great as i said he was a great addition to our cast and, and had a lot of fun working with him well that's awesome it sounds cool so. and ashley thanks so much for for talking with me today um you i mean you've not only set the stage in terms of web3 use cases in the film industry on our podcast mm-hmm. I, in the overall film industry I, I i have i have faith and you know nfts are definitely paving a future path beyond just the typical jpegs and artwork and for sure i do think that they'll be a part of useful community and membership solutions again you know i i, I and I, I add the sovereign ownership component to it <laughs> yep. um, and in terms of DAOs, yeah we're still early but you know if there's a common set purpose and a dedicated goal mm-hmm. and if you know, sort of the the roots are set properly, then there's definitely potential. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I, I'm fascinated by DAOs as well. I just, I pose this one question to you as a person in Web3. It's definitely one step closer to the matrix. Like we are offloading <laughs> a lot of our information and it's just, we are getting one and two step as these DAOs become. And it's definitely something to, to kind of think about. Um, we are automating a lot of our lives away. Yes, Yes. Um, well, in, in, in terms of how I see it, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm doing this podcast partly also to, to learn a lot about what's going on. Um, I don't have a technical background. I'm, uh, I'm an ex-investment banker, so I was in finance for, for a while, who sort of got disenchanted by, that, by the whole 
just what it's all about. But there is an unease with, you know, I think DAOs is just more of like a technical tooling thing. And I think it sounds, oh, automated matrix. That's not, I don't, I, I'm not so concerned in terms of that. I think there's, there, there could be a lot of good that can come out of DAOs. I'm, I'm still on the fence with the metaverse, <laughs> what the metaverse means mm-hmm. and how we're going to create it. But the thing is, that's why we need to have these conversations because we're the ones who are going to pave the way and creating all of these components, right? We can't just wait for someone to do it for us. So, yeah, yeah. you know, just to not to end with a cliche, but but it is important to to have the conversations and and think about it that way. But yeah, it's I I can get a little matrix matrixy and freaked out <laughs> when I have these conversations. But yeah. So, well, perfect, Nina. I really appreciate you taking a chance and having me on as well. Sure thing. Um, as I said, anybody who has any questions or just wants to contact me, talk more about this, please just email me, info at sellingyourscreenplay.com. I'm very available. Great. Ashley, thanks again. Thank you. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks again to our guests and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks also to the Barium Music team for providing their music. You can check them out on barriamusic.com. All of the supporting information is on our website, blockchainrecorded.com. You can listen to us on Google, Apple, and Amazon podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter and YouTube, where we are super grateful for your support. Stay tuned for our next episode.